Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that there's nowhere we can fall that you can't reach us. There's nowhere too far for your grace to find us. We thank you for your unending mercy and your love and your patience with us, Lord. We come before you today and we ask for your blessing upon these words. Visit with us as we study your word, Lord. Give us open hearts to receive what you have for us today. In the precious name of your Son, we pray. Amen. When my oldest son, Jordan, was a toddler, he was enamored with the story of Humpty Dumpty. You remember it. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Well, he was obsessed with the story. He loved the story of Humpty Dumpty, but with one major modification. He hated the ending. I remember him objecting, it can't end there. In his mind, there had to be a way to fix Humpty. Right? There had to be a way for Humpty to be made whole again and jump right back onto that wall. So we found Jordan all kinds of alternate ending versions of the story. We found him books, songs, uh, apps where Humpty was sufficiently repaired and got back into the game. In one version, Humpty was bandaged and, and he got better, he healed. In another, Humpty's mother came and nursed him back to health. Well, Jordan loved them all. To him, that made sense. Humpty just had to be restored one way or another. And for him, he was. Humpty Dumpty was back on that wall and enjoying life again. Well, if, if you've lived long enough, you've had your own Humpty Dumpty fall. We've all experienced falls and failures, times of being down and discouraged. It can be due to a storm of life, a bout of fear, discouraging circumstances, yes, even a pandemic. Most often these low times are caused by sin in our lives. We blew it. We fell. We sinned against God and, and we find ourselves at the bottom of the valley. We may feel just like Humpty Dumpty. We're in pieces and it seems like we've tried everything and, and yet all the king's horses and all the king's men just can't put us back together, can't get us back up, and can't get us back into the battle of life. Well, nowhere is this exemplified better in Scripture than the story of King David's fall. David blew it on a historically epic scale. Second Samuel 11.1 1 introduces the fall. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. During the time when kings would go off to war, David sent Joab to the war and he stayed in Jerusalem. That was the first step to his fall. He wasn't found where God wanted him to be. When we start with that, we leave ourselves wide open to sin. Chapter 11 goes on to detail David's fall. The man after God's own heart abused his place of power. He stole a soldier's wife, a soldier named Uriah. He stole his wife Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her and he tried to cover it up with Uriah's murder. 
You can't imagine a more severe fall from grace. But his story wasn't over. And his story of restoration gives us the perfect example of getting up and getting back into the battle. Turn with me to our text this morning. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. And here we find the prophet Nathan sent by God to rebuke David. 2 Samuel 12, 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. It's a sobering rebuke, isn't it? Somehow we we never think clearly about the implications and the repercussions of our sin in the moment. Sometimes it takes someone the Lord sends our way to open our eyes. Well, David finally sees it. Let's keep reading verses 13 to 14. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. True to his word, the Lord takes the son that David and Bathsheba had together. David is crushed. He's broken. He's repentant but he realizes there's a price to pay for sin. God forgave David. He always forgives us immediately when we repent. But oftentimes there are still consequences. There still are repercussions to our sin. And we have to live with those. David committed the sin. He accepted the rebuke. He received the forgiveness. Lived through the repercussions. And now it was time for David to get back up. God had forgiven him, and now it was time for restoration. David needed to get back into the battle. He had been in the wrong place long enough. He had been on the sidelines long enough. Remember Joab, the man David sent to lead the battle instead of himself? 
Well, he had the next message for the king. Verse 26. Meanwhile, Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and captured the royal citadel. Joab then sent messengers to David, saying, I have fought against Rabbah and have taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. Otherwise I will take the city and it will be named after me. It's a clear message from God through Joab. David, get up. It's time. It's time to get back into the battle. Have you been there? Perhaps you're there today. Something took you down and out of the battle. Perhaps it was someone who injured you and you can't let it go. Perhaps it was the pursuit, the pursuit of something or someone outside God's will and and it left you empty. Perhaps it was a loss and you still feel that pain and bitterness. Perhaps it was doubts or fears that gripped your mind and and took you down. Perhaps it was sin that you allowed to take hold of you. And even though God has forgiven you, you just can't seem to forgive yourself. Whatever the reason, whatever the cause, you may feel you're crippled, isolated, and, and helpless. Friend, rest assured, you are not alone. And you're not helpless. You're not without hope. It's time to get back up. And Joab's instructions to David provide us the perfect steps to get up and to get back into the battle. We're going to look at those today. The first step, burn the bridge back to sin. While Joab was busy in battle, David was MIA, right? We find him strolling on his roof and longing for what he didn't have. Here was a man who had everything imaginable. He was the most powerful king in the land. He had untold wealth. He had six wives and many children. And most importantly, he had the favor of God. But all this wasn't enough for David. He had his eye on the one thing he didn't have, Bathsheba. After his fall, repentance and forgiveness, Joab tells him to get up and get out of Jerusalem. Get to the place where God wants you to be. Get out of the place of temptation and don't look back. Stop looking for what you don't have. Stop longing for what you don't have. Be satisfied with what God has given you and don't go back there. Burn the bridge back to the place of sin, the place where you fell, the place where you strayed. This world will tell you to never burn bridges. Well, it may be wise in business, but in the spiritual world, if that place you left was a place of sin, burn that bridge. You don't ever want to go back there. General George Washington was approaching one of the fiercest battles of his campaign. He and his troops had had crossed over a bridge as they were nearing the battle when one of his officers came to him and asked whether or not to burn the bridge behind them. It was customary to burn the bridges as they crossed over them to prevent the enemy from sneaking up behind them and also prevent soldiers from running away from the battle when things got too hot to handle. Well, the great General Washington, he looked toward the battle and then he looked back where they had come from and then back toward the battle and then he gave his answer. 
burn the bridge. It's either victory or death. That should be our stance. Burn the bridge and don't look back. God has rescued you from that place. Don't go back and don't look back. We want victory. The Bible lists many occasions when God was displeased with people desiring to go back to where they were before God delivered them. In Genesis 19.17, God instructed Lot and his wife to leave Sodom and not look back or they would die. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt, Genesis 19.26 tells us. She just couldn't stand the thought of not looking back just one more time. In Luke 9.62, we read, Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Going back is a recipe for disaster. God forgave you. He dusted you off, cleaned you up, and made you whole again. Going back should not be an option we even entertain. Second Peter 2, 20-22 warns of this. It says this, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. David needed to get up. He needed to leave that rooftop, leave Jerusalem, and go to Rabbah, to the place of battle where he was supposed to be. And he did. David burned that bridge back to temptation and dissatisfaction and sin, and he moved forward. David never took another wife after Bathsheba. We never read anything else after that. I wouldn't doubt that he never even went back onto that rooftop. No turning back and no looking back. That's the first step for us to get back into the battle. Burn the bridge back to what took you down. If someone has hurt you and you've held on to that pain and anger, forgive. Let it go and don't pick up that hurt again. If it was a loss you suffered, realize that God has ordained all things. And he has a plan. Place that hurt in his hands and leave it there. If it was sin that brought you down, don't toy with it again. When we continue to visit the places we used to go when we were in sin, that bridge is left open for temptation to come and give us a visit. Don't put yourself in that position ever again. Burn that bridge. The story's told of a man who went forward to kneel and pray every Sunday after the service was over. Every Sunday, when everyone had left, he would loudly pray the same prayer. Lord, take the cobwebs of sin out of my life. The next Sunday, he'd return. Lord, take the cobwebs of sin out of my life. Sunday after Sunday, he did this. One Sunday, the pastor knelt beside him, and and when he had prayed, Lord, take the cobwebs of sin out of my life, The pastor prayed aloud, Yes, Lord, and while you're at it, just kill the spider. No spiders, no cobwebs. Eradicate the source of sin. 
Burn that bridge and don't look back. Amen? That's our first step. Burn the bridge back to sin. Our second step is found in the beginning of verse 28. What did Joab ask David to do? He said, now muster the rest of the troops. I love the word muster. It means assemble or reconnect. Gather with them. Reconnect with them. That's our second step. Reconnect with the troops. You know, so often when we find ourselves unable to get back into the battle, it coincides with being isolated. We're away from the troops. We're out of fellowship. We're away from the family of God. And during this time of of lockdown, especially, we can feel that way. It's critical. It's critical to reconnect with your support system. We don't have to be physically together to be connected, right? We've learned that. Pick up the phone. Send an email. have Have a FaceTime meeting or a Zoom. Send a text message. God has placed you in this family on purpose. It's for a reason. We support one another. We uplift one another. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. If anyone has your back in this life, it's your spiritual family. Reconnect with your troops. We're all fighting the same battle of life and we're all in it together. When you hurt, we all hurt. When you celebrate, we all celebrate. When you cry, we all cry. You're not alone. When you're isolated, it's only because you are isolating. Come back to the family. Regather and reconnect. When you got saved, Ephesians 2.19 tells us, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Isn't that beautiful? We are members of the same household of God. And as a household, we serve one another. We build each other up. We uplift one another. And we walk together. Thessalonians 5.11 instructs us, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And Ecclesiastes 4.9-10 reminds us, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. That's the purpose of fellowship. The history of the word fellowship is rather simply a a relationship among fellows. The idea of fellowship is that two or more people have been bonded together in some significant way. For obvious reasons, this idea of fellowship, or koinonia in the Greek, came to signify the life of the early church. Why? Well, because of the unique power of the bond of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. That bond made through Christ enabled deep roots and moved that community of faith to the kind of rich sacrificial life that Jesus himself modeled in the Gospels. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his classic book on Christian community, Life Together, he argues that Christian community is unlike any other community because of this unique bond, a bond that exists between each of us through Christ. And when Jesus is at the center of our fellowship, the world is radically transformed. So may the church always be a relationship among fellows, a fellowship bound not by color, ethnicity, social class, or status, but by the redeeming power of Christ 
at work in us through the Holy Spirit. That's the fellowship. Reconnect with that fellowship. Reconnect with the family of God. They're your support system. They are your encouragers. They are your prayer partners. This journey wasn't meant to be traveled alone. God has blessed us with one another. Treasure that. Friend, if you find yourself trying to get back into the battle, first burn the bridge back to sin, back to what took you down. Second, reconnect with the troops. Reconnect with the family of God. And our third step, move forward with God. Joab's request to David was very clear. Get up, get out of Jerusalem, reassemble with the troops, and go forward to the enemy city of Rabbah and capture it. David did exactly that. He moved forward. Despite the fall, despite the judgment, despite the punishment, despite the sin, he placed his trust in God's forgiveness and he moved on. That's the example for us. And it's repeated time and time again throughout scriptures. Moving on, moving forward. The early church kept moving forward, and we can too. In spite of our enemies, in spite of our setbacks, in spite of our circumstances and storms, we can still move forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. In February of 2007, a deadly tornado struck central Florida, and and it smashed almost everything in its path. The storm struck at the worst possible time, moving across the state along a 30-mile path between 3 and 4 a.m. Twenty people were killed. There was a great suffering in those communities. It was the second deadliest tornado in Florida's history. Resident Russell Timmons said, Hell opened up and half the demons came out. That's what it felt like. The Lady Lake Church of God was destroyed by the tornado. Even though it had been built to take a Category 4 hurricane with 150-mile-an-hour winds, the church was turned into a twisted mess of wood and metal. Pieces of aluminum roof hung from oak branches and clanked in the wind. Pews and Bibles were scattered everywhere. It was so sad to see. But here's the good news. By sunrise, church members had gathered on the parking lot grounds, hugging each other and consoling their pastor. And they had church that Sunday. Members, neighbors, and media from all over the country gathered there for the morning service. That day the pastor said to his reporters, that's just the building. The people are the church. We'll be back bigger and stronger. We'll move forward. We're going to be fine. We'll we'll pull it together. Robert Newman, who had attended the church for the previous three years, said, It doesn't bother me one little bit because God's going to use this for a blessing. He's going to build it bigger and better. Susie Lamley started attending the church when it met in a small house down the road, and she believed the tragedy would turn into a blessing. Susie said, This is only history. A new beginning is coming, and God's story is not over yet. I think that the eyes of the world can be opened. And another church member said this on TV, We don't need the building. We have Jesus. Aren't you glad we have a Savior like that? No wonder we should be filled with joy. No wonder our church can and should move ahead. No wonder we as individuals can overcome and move forward. We can and we will if we follow God's guidance. Move forward with God. The devil will try to stop you. 
The world will try to derail you. Your fears may try to withhold you. Your doubts may try to distract you. Despite all of it, move forward. It can be difficult. Sometimes it it can feel like you can't even breathe, like the, the, the weight of the world is crushing you. Rest assured, you're not alone. God is with you every step and every breath of the way. And remember those troops you reassembled with? They're with you too. Just take that first step forward. You remember that song from the animated classic children's movie, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. There's a lot of wisdom there and put one foot in front of the other. Wisdom from a children's song. When the winter warlock finally admitted, I really am a mean and despicable creature at heart, you know. It's so difficult to to really change. Well, Chris Kringle encourages him to just take one step. Focus on just that first step. And when you've done that, focus on just that next one. And he's saying, you will never get where you're going if you never get up on your feet. Come on, there's a good tailwind blowing. A fast walking man is hard to beat. If you want to change your direction, if your time of life is at hand, well, don't be the rule, be the exception. A good way to start is to stand. Put one foot in front of the other, and soon you'll be walking across the floor. You put one foot in front of the other, and soon you'll be walking out the door. One step at a time. We can do that, can't we? You think a a marathon runner starts off his or her career by running 26 miles routinely? No, they start with a small distance. They master a mile run, then, then a 5K, then a 10K, and then increase it a bit at a time until they're conditioned to running 26-mile marathons. Take the first step, friend. Get back into the battle. David obeyed God's command, spoken through Joab. He left the place of sin and he burned that bridge. He assembled his troops, gathered with them, moved forward, attacked the enemy city, and captured it. He continued on and he captured all of the Ammonite towns. Victory. David was back. The king was back. The man after God's own heart was back in the battle. That's restoration. Restoration that only God can provide. He does and he will every time if we let him. Friend, it's it's never too late. You may have fallen. You may be down. You may be stuck in the valley of, of discouragement and defeat. But you don't have to stay there. His arms are long enough to love you, to save you, to reach you and to pull you out. Reach out to him. Run back to him. Get up and get back in the battle. Burn the bridge back to sin. Reconnect with the family of God and move forward with the Lord. I'm going to close with this poem entitled The Race by Dr. D.H. Groberg. Whenever I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. A children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear, it wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race, or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. Their parents watched from off the side, 
each cheering for their son, and each boy hoped to show his folks that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they flew like chariots of fire. To win, to be the hero there, was each young boy's desire. One boy in particular whose dad was in the crowd was running in the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field and crossed a shallow dip, the little boy who thought he'd win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his arms flew every place, and midst the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. As he fell, his hope fell too. He couldn't win it now. Humiliated, he just wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win that race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall, so anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs. He slipped again and fell. He wished that he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I, I shouldn't try to place. But through the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face with a steady look that said again, get up and win that race. So he jumped up to try again, ten yards behind the last. If I'm to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to run real fast. Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight, then ten. But trying hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat. He lay there silently, a tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. You haven't lost at all, for all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Get up, the echo urged him on. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win that race. And so up he rose to run once more, refusing to forfeit. And he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. Still, he gave it all he had and ran like he could win. Three times he'd fallen, stumbling. Three times he rose again, too far behind to hope to win. He still ran to the end. They cheered another boy who crossed the line and won first place. Head high and proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line in last place... The crowd gave him a greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he'd won that race to listen to that crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and bleak and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my own race. For all of life is like that race, with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. And when depression and despair shout loudly in my face, another voice within me says, get up and win that race. 
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our story is not over. Our race is not finished. We thank you for your endless patience with us and your grace towards us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Father, we don't want to stay in the valley of defeat. Help us, Lord. Help us to get up. Help us to burn the bridge back to sin, to reconnect with the family of God in which you have lovingly and wisely placed us, and help us to move forward with you, one step at a time. We don't want to give up. We don't want to quit. Help us to rise each time we fall. Help us to get up and get back into the battle. Father, we want to keep running, to keep fighting, to keep battling until we hear you say, Well done, good and faithful servant. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.